Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Jim Zoki will join us from the Carolina Panthers broadcast team. Reporting day is Wednesday. Actual football begins Thursday for the Panthers and all the other NFL teams. Some got started last week. Everybody else gets started this week. College football has launched in the form of media days. The practices are almost here. The games, believe it or not, are only a little bit more than a month away. The launch of the ACC network is exactly a month away. That's August 22nd as we come at you today on July 22nd. Our next guest earned the nickname long ago, Mr. College Football. And when I wrote for The Athletic and in the pages of the ACC Sports Journal, an article that took a deep dive on the upcoming ACC network, I thought I need somebody with decades of wisdom on college football. Uh, somebody who has written about money matters, but somebody who has also written about TV matters. And, of course, they were all – I talked to, like, you know, ESPN executives. I talked with John Swafford, ACC commissioner, a lot of athletic directors. I talked with one media member, and it is our guest that I actually stole an old quote that he's given us a few variations of over the years from ESPN and the SEC Network. You can also find his columns at TMGCollegeSports.com or hear him on 680 The Fan in Atlanta. Tony Barnhart, Mr. College Football, did you uh, somehow indirectly learn that I used one of your favorite quotes uh, in my ACC Network article? Well, it was brought to my attention when you wrote it, and then earlier when Commissioner Swafford referenced it to in his, I guess his opening <laughs> yes, remarks for yes. ACC Media Day. Yeah, I got, a, <laughs> I got, a, I got a, I got a note from a friend of mine that said, "Well, you made the ACC meetings," and then he told me what it was. I said, "Yeah, I said, yeah, Commissioner Swafford and I have had that conversation. That is true." Well, how would you describe? And for those who don't know, Tony once put into words, "Hey, a passionate Big Ten fan who wanted the Big Ten Network years ago." Might send an email, place a phone call, maybe even an angry phone call in the SEC. If they might not be able to get the SEC network, they might threaten to burn somebody's house down. How would you put into words like this spectrum, Tony? Because well, we know there are passionate ACC fans or, or ACC football fans, but I don't think anybody would say there are quite as many on the football side in the ACC as there are in the SEC. It, it, it's all about the passion, and there's a lot. Having covered the ACC for a long, long time, I know there's a lot of passion. I was trying to draw a reference to somebody, the difference between the Big Ten Network, which had been uh, operational for several years, and the SEC Network. Yeah. That's the contrast I was trying to draw. And, again, my point was if, if you're in the Big Ten, network, if you're in the Big Ten footprint and you don't get the Big Ten Network, you're going to complain. You may even drop your cable service. Yeah. But in the SEC, it, it's going to be a lot more than that. So it's, uh, <laughs> I think the ACC is positioned very well. I wrote my good friend Wes Durham last week. I said, you're going to be great. I know because my 86-year-old mother called me the other day and asked me about the ACC network. So if you, if you got my mama... Uh, fired up about it. You, you're, you're going to be just fine. <laughs> Another of my favorite Tony Barnhart stories, and you can tell me if this is urban legend rather than it actually happened. I believe you told us it was the summer of 2014. The SEC Network was almost here. It was around your birthday. Your mom's... No, it's my anniversary. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. So my your mom's number comes up, and you think it's a happy anniversary, but it, it was her asking about what? I am, I am literally 15 minutes. I was on the Starkville, Mississippi practice field at Mississippi State, and it's straight o'clock six up. Brent Musburger was going to come on the air saying, you are looking live at all 14 of these campuses uh, to launch the SEC network. And I'm literally wearing a coat and tie, 1,000 degrees. I'm literally 15 minutes away from Brent uttering those words, and my cell phone rings. 
And like you said, I thought it was going to be my mama wishing me a happy anniversary. <laughs> and she said, son, I cannot find the SEC network on my television. <laughs> so in all of this, I'm, I'm calling Charter Communications <laughs> Madison, Georgia, to get the channel for the SEC network for my mama. And I got it, and she saw it. And she got to see her firstborn son help launch the SEC Network. I love it. Tony Barnhart joining us on the David Glenn Show. Follow him on Twitter, at Mr. CFB. There has been a recent attendance decline in college football. Nobody seems to be worried about the popularity of the sport, right? I mean, college football right. playoff or, or other measurables. But the attendance has been in decline. And I saw you retweet Northwestern football coach Pat Fitzgerald. What did you make of him both observing what's causing the decline as he sees it in college football attendance, not huge declines, but, but still, yeah. what is it, four or five years in a row maybe? Uh, and he, he intertwined it with, like, the downfall of society at large. What would you make of yeah, it? I, I just loved it. Well, I thought his best example, listen, there, there are a lot of real-world reasons why college football attendance is declining, and they're, they're not all bad, okay? And a lot of it, you know, has to do with cost and things of that nature. But Pat Fitzgerald just Pat, – uh, he took it uh, – he did a sort of a holistic approach to the whole thing. Right. So, you know, it's people looking at these dadgum iPhones all the time, and instead of experiencing the game, they're watching the game and they're sitting at rest. He used a, he used a couple sitting at a restaurant, and four of them are sitting together, and instead of talking to each other, they're on that phone. So, you know, yeah, is it, is it a get, get off my lawn, one of those kind of moments? Sure, sure it is. But yeah. I, I thought he bailed it pretty good. But that's one of about – 10 reasons the college football attendance is declining. And how worried are athletic directors about that as you see it? Or is the influx of TV money, you know, so much, you know, cushioning the blow, if you will, that it's really only a, a small planet in their universe rather than front and center? Well, you have to be concerned about it. You have to be concerned about it because you have to. The, the biggest issue right now is getting the students engaged. I'll give you an example. Alabama has taken one of its end zones. I guess it's the south end zone. And they created basically a big old patio for the students where the students can mill around and have high-top tables and have something to drink and enjoy it rather than sitting there in their, in their seats. Uh, students, this group, the, the millennials, this group of students, you know, they can basically take it or leave it, okay? Yeah. They, they, they will, you know, if you don't have, and I told an athletic director this seven or eight years ago in a meeting. I said, if you guys don't have state-of-the-art Wi-Fi where people can communicate yeah. in real time, they're going to go to the bar. Take Athens, for example. Downtown Athens is a couple of blocks, three blocks away. They'll go down to the bars and watch it there. So they've got it. And the, the students are your future donor base. So if you don't engage these guys when they're young, when they graduate and start making some money, you're gonna want to you're gonna want some of that money. And uh, if they're not buying season tickets and making the contributions, uh, you're gonna be in trouble. Tony Barnhart, Mr. College Football, joining us on the David Glenn Show. All right, the last four years, it's been Alabama as the national champion, then Clemson, then Alabama again, and then last year, Clemson again. Uh, when you look at the broader landscape, is like the smart money on one or both of them uh, as the super heavyweight style favorite again, or do you believe it's going to be a more varied college football season this time? I think there are three teams on one tier, then there's another tier after that, and that's Georgia and Clemson and Alabama. I think Georgia is on that same tier. It's going to get a chance to prove it. 
after that, you've got teams like LSU, who I, who I like a whole lot. Uh, teams, maybe Michigan, maybe Coach Khaki Pants gets figured out. <laughs> maybe Ohio State, uh, maybe Oklahoma with Jalen Hurts, at quarterback. But I think right now there are three teams on the first tier and a whole bunch of teams on that second tier. It, at the ACC kickoff, we talked a lot about what is the real ACC in football. And you probably remember a lot of these things off the top of your head. But in 2016, the ACC had its best football campaign in a, you know the history of a 67-year-old league, right? Lamar Jackson's the Heisman Trophy winner. Clemson mm-hmm. wins the national championship. There were two teams in the national top 10. There were five teams in the national top 25. That had never happened before or since for the ACC, of course, more famous in basketball and some other sports. What do you think the real ACC is? Can they have more of those 2016-style uh, great at the top, but also great depth type years. Or last year, you know the deal, Clemson won it all again, but the only other team that was even nationally relevant was Syracuse with 10 wins, finishing, I think it was number 15 in the final polls. No, the ACC is absolutely going to have years like that again. I mean, you sit there and look at uh, the programs. That, you know, Florida State is not going to stay down. They had a rotten year last year. They're going to get better. Now, now I don't know if Willie Taggart's going to be the guy when they get better, but we're going to find out. But but Florida State's Florida State. North Carolina, Mac's going, Mac's going to up recruiting there, and they're going to come back. Georgia Tech under Jeff Collins, they're going to come back. Uh, you know, Dave Durings doing a good job at NC State. And what about the job they're doing at uh, with Dave Clawson at Wake Forest? Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of good, really good football coaches and football programs. But last year, Clemson, in the last few years, Clemson's been blocking out the sun. All right, and Clemson's gonna continue to be great. They ought to be great, okay? But the I, I think the what's happened to the ACC on the back end of the cup that that's to me that's a bit of an aberration. I think they're gonna be fine. Clemson, of course, they just announced the media's vote from last week earlier today. Clemson was the pick of, I think, all but two or three people to be the ACC champion again. There were votes all over the coastal. Believe it or not, UVA, the only school that has not won the coastal division. Last six years, six different schools have won the coastal title. The Cavaliers, the only one that has not in that period. They actually got the most votes to win the coastal. Miami and Virginia Tech also got uh, a significant number. After the Clemson Tigers, who we all agree is on that top tier, in either division, really, who jumps out at you? Is it, you know, Miami under Manny Diaz, Florida State under Willie Taggart? Is it uh, Justin Fuente bouncing back at Virginia Tech? Or could it be Bronco Mendenhall, who in his first three years has gotten the Cavaliers better every single year? Yeah, I've I've heard the most buzz about about Virginia, but I I think if Miami can get any kind of consistent quarterback play, uh, I think they got they've got a chance to, a chance on that side. You, you know you don't know you don't know with a first year head coach and Manny Diaz, and you don't know how that's going to pan out. But that's that's a pretty good group down there. So I, I would my thinking is it's either it is either Virginia or Miami. His name is Tony Barnhart. Hear his work for 680 The Fan in Atlanta. Find his work at tmgcollegesports.com and always, of course, ESPN and SEC Network on the writing and TV sides. Tony, thanks for the visit, as always, and thanks for one of my favorite quotes in my recent article at The Athletic. Bye, DG. Take care. You got it. On Twitter at Mr. CFB, Mr. College Football himself. Practice is almost here at the college level. Practice is here at the NFL level for most teams. The Panthers again report to Spartanburg this Wednesday. Footballs start flying 
on Thursday at Wofford College. 1-800-849-2761. Today we do have our NFL guest joining in about uh, 60-plus minutes. Jim Zoki from the Carolina Panthers broadcast team is going to drop by. The Panthers were featured starting at the end of last week in a new TV show called All or Nothing. It's kind of a... I don't know, hard knock style approach behind the scenes, really compelling stuff. I, I saw interesting things that I had not known before about the owner, David Tepper. That was year one for him, of course. The head coach, Ron Rivera, you kind of got uh, special access to him and his demeanor and his emotions are different, of course, when the cameras are rolling in a meeting room or somewhere else in the facility than the more calm guy that you typically see roaming the sidelines for the Panthers on game day. A lot of interesting stuff in there. I'll share some of the highlights that I saw. All or Nothing, it's an Amazon production, and I thought, you know, pretty good behind-the-scenes, hard-knock style. It's, again, looking backward. It's to look at the 2018 season, not the upcoming 2019 season, but it's rare to get that kind of access I'll share some things I learned and take some of yours as well. Some folks say they'll, they'll never root for the Panthers again because that organization hosted Megan Rapino of the U.S. Women's National Team this weekend as Bank of America Stadium hosted an international soccer match. Remember, David Tepper's trying to get Major League Soccer to come to Charlotte via an expansion franchise, and his successful hosting repeatedly of some of these international matches only serves to bolster his argument that Charlotte has as good a chance as almost anybody else of being MLS franchise number 29 or maybe MLS franchise number 30. That league already has announced its plans to get to 30. They're at 24 on the field. They're at 27 with three others already being told. They're getting new franchises, and they're expected to get to 2018 with St. Uh, 20. Eight, rather, with St. Louis being number 28 at an announcement over MLS All-Star Weekend. That is later this month. Who gets 29? Who gets 30? Sacramento thinks it's in great position. And Charlotte has gone from really not in the mix, other than technically asking for a team, to under David Tepper and with his $13 billion in net worth, I think they've gone to near the top of that list, giving our state a great chance of luring the MLS to North Carolina soil. 1-800-849-2761. Jim Zoki on the NFL later. Shane Lowry, Brooks Kepka, Mariano Rivera, Tom Dundon and the Carolina Hurricanes. Why are the Miami Dolphins getting votes for best of the weekend? Manny Pacquiao from the boxing world. Kevin Harvick from the NASCAR world. Zlatan Ibrahimovic and the NWSL from the soccer world. And why did Michael Jordan describe a day that's celebrating an anniversary today? July 22nd, Michael Jordan described the greatest basketball game he's ever played in as one that took place on July 22nd many years ago. That story, who's playing basketball in the middle of July, that would impress six-time NBA champion Michael Jordan that much all these years later. That special anniversary with your best and worst of the weekend phone calls, 1-800-849-2761, next on The David Glenn Show. Gary Player joining us. This morning I did 1,300 sit-ups and crunches. Wow. I pushed 300 pounds with my legs and I ran on the treadmill. You are one of the legends of golf and you've been an inspiration as a person as well. What a nice compliment and God bless America. You're listening to The David Glenn Show.
back to the David Glenn Show. Appreciate Tony Barnhart for dropping by on some college football. Jim Zoki will drop by on some pro football. Panthers back in Spartanburg. Reporting day is Wednesday. Football's fly starting Thursday. Jim Zoki next hour from the Carolina Panthers broadcast team. We do have lines open for the first time in a long time. I do have a floating question of the day that also allows for your participation. British Open winner Shane Lowry, British Open top five finisher Brooks Kepka, the American among the best of the weekend from that world. Mariano Rivera, his speech and his Hall of Fame induction. More from Roy Halladay's wife, Edgar Martinez, Mike Mussina, and the other inductees as well. Why are the Miami Dolphins getting best of the weekend votes? What did you or I think of the Panthers' all or nothing documentary style TV show that debuted? Late last week, Manny Pacquiao gets a big win on the boxing circuit. Kevin Harvick gets his first Cup Series win of 2019 in NASCAR. Question of the day, who is the biggest talker in sports who actually backs it up with Megan Rapino visiting Charlotte this weekend and upsetting some Panthers fans who do not like her and did not like the red carpet treatment she received from David Tepper, Ron Rivera, Cam Newton, and Christian McCaffrey. She talked big going into the Women's World Cup. She had some Americans rooting for her to break her leg or suggesting she shouldn't have even been eligible to wear a Team USA jersey. She delivered with a lot of big goals and, of course, with the championship trophy itself. Zlatan Ibrahimovic on the men's side. I just happened to catch him. It was L.A. versus L.A., Galaxy versus the other MLS team in Los Angeles. And that guy, nobody talks bigger. I'm not sure I know of an athlete who uses the third person to describe himself more than Zlatan Ibrahimovic. The guy's been like one of the best players in almost all of the biggest leagues in the world, right? So he's 37 now. It's the twilight of his career, but he's still like back-to-back MLS All-Star, right? So what did he say? I'm going to be the best player in the league. What did he do? I'm the best player in the league. As he says, that's Zlatan being Zlatan, DG. That's just Zlatan being Zlatan. So he was with like one of the top clubs in Italy, and he did great things there. And then he's with one of the top clubs in Spain, and he does great things there. And he's in one of the top clubs in England, and he does great things there. And now late in his career, he comes to the MLS. Rapino and Zlatan, Zlatan being Zlatan, Rapino being Rapino. I think they're good answers from the soccer world. Who is the biggest talker in sports who actually does a great job of consistently backing it up? You remember Zlatan Ibrahimovic's answer to who is the greatest athlete in the history of Sweden? Seriously. Swedish newspaper did this poll years ago. I grew up watching Bjorn Borg, greatest men's tennis player in the world, famously from Sweden. No doubt. I mean, and they have, you know, skiers and lots of other great athletes in a lot of different sports. And Zlatan's answer was, I am one through ten. I don't know who's 11th, but just write Zlatan on the first 10 slots and then save the rest for Bjorn Borg or whoever else you may have in mind. (laughs) That's in the history of his own country. 1-800-849-2761. I do remember a guy named Joe Namath guaranteeing a Super Bowl victory. I do remember my favorite personal example. As we come to your calls, what was the best thing you saw? What was the worst thing you saw anywhere in the sports universe and why? And the question of the day, who's the biggest talker in sports who actually backs it up on a regular basis? I'll tell you why. Michael Jordan, the Miami Dolphins, and the NWSL are, were in my inbox over the weekend as well. 1-800-849-2761 is your ticket into the program. While NC State 
fans were celebrating that Jimmy V Cardiac Pack 1983 National Championship. Of course, I didn't live here in 1983. I had I, I, I enjoyed it from afar. As a little kid in Philadelphia, where it's mostly about pro sports and only occasionally about college sports, I was all about the March Madness stuff. Now, I mean, it was all Eagles and Phillies and Flyers and Sixers and pro stuff again. But come March... I mean, the Tar Heels won it all with Dean Smith and Michael Jordan and Sam Perkins and James Worthy. I'm a little kid. Wow, man, that's pretty cool. What a great coach. Amazing players. Worthy, Perkins, Jordan, they all go on, of course, to success in the NBA. The very next year, I'm like, man, what what are they doing down there in the state of North Carolina? It's like Jimmy V and the Cardiac Pack are one of the greatest stories of all time in college basketball. And these two schools are what? I didn't know as a kid. They're like 30 minutes apart, right? They're... There's something really cool going on in the college sports world down there in North Carolina. Heels in 82, Wolfpack in 83, in the same sport of men's basketball. Well, as the Wolfpack fans are enjoying the cardiac pack story, I was enjoying not a big talker per se, not, not like Zlatan being Zlatan. This is more a guy who rarely said a word. But in 1983, so what would the Wolfpack would be cutting down the nets? What was it back then? Either the end of March or the beginning of April, whatever it was at the time. A guy named Moses Malone, who preferred one, two, and three-word answers to all questions from the media. If he wasn't dodging a media assignment, he was giving. He was a friendly guy, very professional. He just did not enjoy that aspect of being a professional athlete. So he certainly is not like a Joe Namath-type personality, you know, Broadway Joe, and we're going to win the Super Bowl, I guarantee it. Nothing at all like Zlatan, or even Megan Rapinoe for that matter. But Moses Malone was asked what he thought of the Sixers winning it all in 1983. So I go from enjoying the cardiac pack story to being engaged with the NBA season as the Sixers had Julius Irving at forward. Guy named Mo Cheeks was their point guard. Andrew Tony, the Boston Strangler, as their wing guard and three-point shooter extraordinaire. Remember Bobby Jones, who played for Coach Smith at UNC? He was like the super sixth man. He actually often won the NBA Sixth Man of the Year award. And then they had a bunch of just complimentary players. It actually reminded me, it reminds me, that team from, what is that, 36 years ago? It reminds me of the modern NBA in this sense. Moses Malone was the superstar center. Dr. J, of course, another Hall of Famer, uber famous. So the Sixers had long ago gotten the, the Dr. J acquisition from the old Nets. And then more recently, they had gotten Moses Malone. So we think of these big twos or these big threes as a more modern phenomenon. There it was in the early 80s playing out in Philly. They get, I think the Nets were like struggling financially and they were in the ABA and jumping into the NBA. So the Sixers swoop in and essentially steal Julius Irving from the old Nets. Moses was already a great player, but they acquired him. I think it was a trade as well. So you have your big two. Like this is the 1983 version of Kawhi and Paul George with the Clippers or LeBron and Anthony Davis with the Lakers, or Kyrie and KD with the modern-day Nets, or whoever your favorite big two is right now. The Sixers had that. That were the big two. And then all these other guys, good players. So the short-on-words Moses Malone was asked, what about the Sixers compared to the rest of the NBA this year? And remember, this is the 80s. Like, the Lakers and the Celtics were dueling dynasties. It was hard for anybody else to just even peek their nose into the picture. And Moses Malone's answer 
was foe, foe, foe. Now, that's not exactly the boastful Joe Namath finger in the air when I'm not doing commercials as Broadway Joe. Not at all that personality, but it's the same bottom line, right? It's essentially a guarantee. And what foe, foe, foe meant was that the Sixers faced having to win three seven-game series, and he didn't think anybody would win a game. Like, I'm not just guaranteeing you the title. I'm guaranteeing you that we're going to win in style with this assembled group of players and a very good coaching staff. Do you know how that turned out, Darren Vaught, representing the 20s and 30-somethings of this statewide DG show audience? It turned out as Moses had predicted, right? Almost exactly. He went foe, 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 which is just famous. If you really want to find out, is somebody a serious Philly fan, a city of Philadelphia sports fan? I mean, I'll give somebody a break if they're young enough. Maybe they don't remember the 1980s. But anybody 30s, 40s, or older, if you think they're just a fraud, which there are plenty of those walking the earth in every capacity, if they don't know what foe, foe, foe is, they're not a real and that's if not they say Vietnamese soup. <laughs> <laughs> and that's not something you, if you try to Wikipedia, right, you're going to get a Vietnamese soup recipe. Right. So that's just how Moses spoke. Fo, fo, fo. It turned out to be five, fo, fi, fo, which sounds like uh, something that a Disney character might say. <laughs> fo, fi, fo, fee, fi, fo, fum. Yeah, you go too far up the beanstalk. Yeah, that's, Jack that's... and the beanstalk. No, it was Moses Malone, fo, fi, fo. There was no fum involved. Fo, fi, fo. They, they swept their first opponent. It took one. They lost one game in their next round, and then they swept the NBA championship series as well. That's boastful. Megan Rapino, Zlatan Ibrahimovic, Joe Namath, Moses Malone, that is a big talker who, who actually ends up backing it up. That was one of my questions of the day coming out of the weekend where Zlatan did that one more time, Galaxy versus L.A. style. They are two of the top eight teams in attendance, by the way, in the MLS. They're also two playoff-bound teams in the MLS. A little intra-city matchup. Zlatan scored all three goals after his big words. So they win three to two. Oh, yeah, I'm the best. Oh, what is his, his line? He was asked about playing in the MLS. And remember, this is a guy, Swedish descent. So he plays, played for that national team for a long time. But he's been all over the other best leagues in the world, most of them. He used an Italian reference to describe his place in the world of Major League Soccer. Now, remember, again, he's in the twilight of his career. He's 37 years old, two for two in terms of being an MLS All-Star and generally regarded as one of the best players in the league. Like, he's scoring almost a goal a game, which just almost nobody does in any – I know MLS is not like a top-five league in the world, but it's top ten, right? Nobody is scoring a goal a game, and he's close to that. He described himself as a Ferrari among Fiat's. I am a Ferrari among Fiat's, which I hope the Fiat folks did not take as an extreme insult – but we all know that Ferraris are a different level of automobile, just as Zlatan being Zlatan is a different level of soccer player. 1-800-849-2761. Last thing I promised on that, and then your calls, best and worst of the weekend and otherwise, at that number, 1-800-849-2761. Our classic sports movie challenge in less than 30 minutes, and then Jim Zoki on all things NFL in about 60 minutes. The average MLS match. Darren, you want to take a shot? 
average attendance for an MLS soccer game, I mean nowadays, not when they were struggling back in the 90s and early 2000s. They have 24 franchises. David Tepper's trying to get one for Charlotte. Steve Malik and Kurt Johnson and company are trying to get one for Raleigh. Both of those cities are like in the top half a dozen or so candidates for an expansion franchise, but neither is a lock, right? One of the reasons that it's compelling from our state's perspective or either Charlotte or Raleigh's perspective and certainly David Tepper's perspective, since he's thrown his weight behind the Panthers slash city of Charlotte's bid, is that it's an infinitely healthier economic model in the MLS. And going into this past week or so, and certainly this weekend, there was a question, could the sport of women's soccer, or more specifically the current professional women's soccer league, the NWSL, our team from North Carolina, the North Carolina Courage, has been the best franchise in the world under Steve Malik and those guys for a long time now, and they've proved that even against other top teams internationally. Would you want to guess? Would you want to guess average MLS attendance? Now, some of these are in soccer-specific stadiums where the capacity might only be twenty or so thousand, right. some yeah. even less, I think. Others are kind of like the David Tepper approach that he's pitching for Charlotte. Hey, I don't have one of those cool modern-day state-of-the-art soccer-specific stadiums, but I have a ready-made stadium in Bank of America Stadium. We play football there with the Panthers, and I'm willing to invest a lot of millions of dollars to spruce it up and to make it very compelling for soccer purposes if you'll grant us an expansion franchise. I had no idea. This is a little hint for you. Darren Vaught standing in for the state of North Carolina listeners here on the David Glenn Show. I had no idea this number was so high. I'm going to give you, as the NWSL was thinking, that Women's World Cup title has to help us. The Megan Rapinoe, Alex Morgan, fill in the blank, you know, Carly Lloyd. There were 23 playing members of the U.S. women's national team that won the Women's World Cup. Some of them, you, names you know well, some maybe not as much. All 23 you might not have known are players in the NWSL. Now, there are other leagues around the world. Some of them are even spending more in salaries than what the NWSL players make. National team players make more money through the U.S. Soccer Federation, but the, re the other roster players in the NWSL do not make huge amounts of money, relatively speaking, and some other countries pay their women's professionals more. But some of them, just as a matter of trying to build a league in their homeland, are playing on American soil rather than sometimes for an even richer payday overseas. So the NWSL, just so you know why they need, not want, that too, but they need to improve attendance and sponsorship, et cetera. And they're hoping the Women's World Cup. Estimates were that $1 billion with a B – People worldwide were engaged with the Women's World Cup. The Men's World Cup number is only $3 billion plus. So, yeah, the men still have the bigger economic model, but if you're one-third their model in that measuring stick, that's pretty good. Because back in the 1990s when they started the Women's World Cup, it might have been 1,000 to 1. Now it's 3 to 1, at least by that measuring stick. That's progress. The NWSL average attendance... And I think the North Carolina Courage here in our backyard is, is near this number. For the league, the average attendance per game is about 6,000. That's not enough to be what you want to be on the women's side in a sport 
that is as popular as it's ever been as a spectator sport in our country, obviously wildly popular around the world, but it has been a struggle here. This is the third professional women's soccer league in our country. I've observed all three of them. I've interviewed some of the investors in the first two, and they lost tens of millions of dollars, and the first two attempts both went swirling down the drain. Not because people didn't like the product, but the economic model wasn't big enough. Not enough people went to games. Not enough sponsored sponsors put out their dollars. And you just need more of all of the above, right? So something called the WUSA. 2001, they started playing. After the 2003 season, they were done. Dysfunct- just, just no longer in, in existence. So three years and out. In 2009, something called the WPS, they started playing actual soccer matches. Again, part number two, round two, the attempt at a women's professional soccer league in our country. First attempt, very early 2000s, fails in three years. Second attempt, 2009, first games were played. 2011 season was the final one. Again, lost tons of money, pull-up stakes, no more league. So this is it. This is round three now. And... The NWSL, the modern incarnation as it's called, they do have a franchise in Portland that averages 18,000 people per game. Now, you get enough of those, you've got one heck of an economic model, even if, especially if, for example, that league just added Budweiser under a four-year deal. People wondered, would there be a buzz factor? We'll see with the ongoing attendance numbers, but will there be other buzz beyond fannies in the seats well Budweiser signing a four-year deal with the NWSL that's big that's I don't know how long those were in negotiation but guess what it was signed within weeks after the U.S. women won the Women's World Cup and one billion people worldwide were engaged with that TV product that matters Budweiser becoming that signature sponsor for a four-year period matters. ESPN agreeing. The Courage were on ESPN2 this weekend. It was Julie Ertz. I don't remember any other player for the Chicago Fire. I'm just kidding. Julie Ertz, easy to root for for a lot of different reasons, U.S. women's national team star. I think she had 10 players out there with her. I I don't remember any of them. (laughs) The Courage played at Chicago, and ESPN2, which is – a huge channel, ESPN proper and ESPN2, are in 86 or so million t- American households. That's a big deal to get not just one game, but it's a couple, do- couple dozen games, I think, more than a dozen games down the stretch of the NWSL regular season and then into the playoffs. They didn't have that deal. Prior to the Women's World Cup, they didn't have the TV deal. Prior to the Women's World Cup, they didn't have the Budweiser deal. 6,000 on average is not enough. You need more Portlands at 18,000 per game There's one franchise that's like less than 2,000 per game. This is a league that has only, I think it's nine members down from 10. So more successful than the first two incarnations? Yes. Still a little scary? Yeah. Not because of the North Carolina Courage. You know, they're doing really well in a lot of different measuring sticks, especially winning. But back to the economic model, what would you guess is the average? This is in-person attendance for Major League Soccer. Yeah. Now, this model has existed longer. The roots are deeper. They have more sponsors. They pay their players better, et cetera. You all know that part of the picture. But just think of this number. I don't know if you have an you're, – you're, you're part-time voice of the North Carolina FC Soccer Club, aren't you? Are I, you? I fill in from time to time. Yeah. For Dean, Dean Linky, still the main man there? Yep, all right. absolutely. Um, I would imagine the average number for 
MLS teams is a little bit closer to that number you mentioned for Portland. So my guess would be, you know, between 15 and 20,000. Very is that well about done. Right? I, I, I would have guessed that. The MLS's average attendance, and I'd have to double check, you know, there's a lot of different funny numbers there. What did George Bush use the phrase fuzzy math? I don't know how much fuzzy math is involved <laughs> here. You know, is it distributed tickets? Is it paid attendance? You know, is it actual turnstile bodies? You know, I don't know. But I do know this. The MLS reports its average attendance as 21,000 per game. Huh, okay. So even now, more than I, I thought. Now, remember, Atlanta, a relatively new franchise, they're packing in forty to 50,000 for many games. So, of course, there are going to be some franchises closer to 10,000, maybe even fewer in the MLS. But when you, sh you want to talk about a healthy economic model, if you're averaging as a league 21,000, and yes, in bigger stadiums, in a league that's been around longer and they've made mistakes and they've overcome hurdles and they've attracted Zlatan and other international players, Wayne Rooney, et cetera. There's just a lot, a lot deeper roots on the men's side. Again, the NWSL average of 6,000, shaky economic model. How much does it matter that the U.S. women's national team stars are now all over NWSL? rosters again how much is the buzz factor how much is the post world cup uh not hangover that would be bad but uh, the the impact on the other side of the spectrum a good impact the chicago fire hosting the north carolina courage this weekend seventeen thousand plus in a sellout that's not a franchise that was getting one-third of that maybe not one-fourth of that so yes the buzz the glow that's not a small difference. And in fact, at a, a Utah match, they got 16,000 roughly this past weekend. Oh, the Chicago Fire's average attendance last season was about 4,000. They got 17,000 plus and sold out for the North Carolina Courage visit. Now, again, that's Julie Ertz and possibly others representing the Chicago Fire. But that's also Abby Dahlkemper, Sam Mewis, uh, Crystal Dunn. Jess McDonald, that's at least four that were just in France helping our country win the Women's World Cup. And beyond that, I've seen, you know, Lynn Williams and uh, McCall Zerboni, my favorite player on the team, hardest working player. What's the old phrase? The hardest working person in show business? McCall Zerboni is the hardest working player on the soccer pitch. She's unbelievable. She's the player I point to my own daughter and say, Watch her, even if the ball's not near her. Watch how hard she works. Admire the hell out of anybody who empties the effort bucket that way. The Courage were a part of that 17,000-plus sellout. They're the best team in the league, almost always. But that's quadrupling your attendance as part of the glow to, from the, the Women's World Cup. Orlando had a 10,000 um, uh, attendance this weekend. Uh, Washington sold out a match. They have a smaller stadium, but it's still a sellout. These things were not happening. Now, is the glow only a week long? That's not going to be enough. If the glow is years long, that helps. But I saw similar glows from previous World Cups fail to prevent other women's pro soccer leagues from swirling down the drain. It's, but these are great early returns. You just have to see longer-term successful returns as those women get back to the pitch and entertain American soccer fans all over our great nation. 1-800-849-2761. Jim Zoki in about 45 minutes or so. 
Classic Sports Movie Challenge in about 15 minutes. More of your phone calls, too. Best and worst of the weekend and otherwise. Michael Jordan's greatest basketball game he ever played in happens 27 years ago today. Happy anniversary. I'll tell you why, what game it was, and why he describes it that way next. Kurt Busch is joining us, 38-year-old champion of the Daytona 500. Well, I went out with Gronk last night after uh, after we won the race. Did you really? Was, it was fun. Got about an hour of sleep. I asked him, I go, hey, when do you have to report to training camp? He goes, July. I said, well, we can't be friends because i got to <laughs> go back to racing. Stay with us on the David Glenn Show. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show, the classic sports movie challenge live in less than 15 minutes. Jim Zoki of the Carolina Panthers broadcast team live later in hour number three. One thing I promised, Michael Jordan says the greatest basketball game he ever played in was on July 22nd, 27 years ago. So happy 27th anniversary. I never would have guessed until I heard this out of Michael's mouth years ago. The guy's won six NBA titles. Wouldn't the greatest game you've ever played in be from one of those clinchers? I mean, how about the flu game where Michael is, you know, only added to his iconic uh, legacy in the sport of basketball or the NBA as a league? No, instead, who the heck is playing basketball on July 22nd? The answer is it was the 1992 Summer Olympics. And Michael was a part of the famous dream team. And he said when they split that team during warm-ups and scrimmages for the, of course, they dominated. They, they won all of their games by like 30-plus points. Remember, the Americans had not used pros for a while. And then this was the original dream team, 1992. It was insane. Two guys were injured. So this particular scrimmage, this is all it is. It's Team USA versus Team USA. The greatest game Michael says he ever participated in had MJ, his Bulls teammate Scottie Pippen, Larry Bird, Carl Malone, and Patrick Ewing as his five. Now, there are no backups. Two guys are injured, and there's only 12 guys on your active Olympic roster. So it's those five against Magic Johnson, Chris Mullen, Christian Leitner, the only college guy on that team in 92, Charles Barkley, and David Robinson. Michael Jordan said the level of play, and, you know, everybody's a Hall of Famer at one point or another, at one level or another. The level of play in that scrimmage held in the country of Monaco as they're on their way to the Olympics, July 22nd, 1992, was the most amazing. No cameras, no media. The most amazing basketball game he's ever participated in. Happy 27th anniversary, MJ. We're back after this. Mike Lupica, welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Sports used to be called the toy department, and I said, look at the political scene, and, and, and tell me that's any more real or, or more serious than what we see when people say, oh, stick to sports. Well, who passed that law? You're listening to the David Glenn Show.